Well, I am with International Justice Mission, and uh, I'm going to unpack for us this morning what it means to be a people um, who encounter God's kingdom, uh, who encounter God's justice. And I'm going to frame some of the stories uh, of my experience in Uganda and Rwanda um, just uh, in May, frame those experiences in Scripture. The reality is that what we have sung about just now, come and consume all that we are, that is, that's a very dangerous prayer if you sang that this morning. Because what you're saying is, God, come into my life, change and transform me, and set my heart and my life in a new direction. That's regardless of whether you're a full-time parent, regardless of whether you are in the marketplace, regardless of whether you are in church-based ministry. If you've prayed that this morning, then you're allowing God to come in and consume all that you are and change and renew and transform, and you are willing to say, I am a vessel. So if you've prayed that, I'm just warning you that things might change in your life. Um, so I'm Phil. I am the BC Director of Development and Mobilization. I joined uh, staff uh, with International Justice Mission of Canada in October of last year, so still pretty fresh. And I know that my colleague Mark uh, Wallenberg has been here a few times, so now you're stuck with a Scotsman. I'm sorry about that. Um, but he is now our church uh, national director, or our, our national director of church mobilization. So he sends his regards. He's sorry he can't be here uh, this morning, but see, he says hello. Um, So what I want to do, uh, this next slide here, we're going to be talking about God's kingdom of of heaven uh, and the kingdom of justice and framing that, like I said, within a few stories that I'll be sharing later on about people that we have encountered in our work uh, at IGM. But before I begin, I'm conscious that there could be some new people here, uh, guests, people who haven't heard of International Justice Mission before. So let me just give you a very broad brushstroke about who we are and what we do in this broken world. International Justice Mission, we are a global organization that protects the poor from violence in the developing world. Now, what that means is this. It's estimated the Global Slavery Index estimates that 36 million people in this world are currently caught up in slavery. Now, to put a little bit of context around that figure, let me, let me give, you, give you some pointers. The, Nash, the, the last census in Canada had given an estimate of how many people in our population, about 35 million. So what does that look like when we think of 36 million? Because that can be pretty overwhelming, overpowering, um, a real burden for us. That would mean, let's think about this, that would mean, okay, everyone in Victoria caught up in slavery, That would mean every major city caught up in slavery of some kind. The UN estimates that 4 billion of the world's poor, that is, all of the world's poor, live outside of the protection of the law. So what that means in real terms is this. Homes aren't safe. Schools aren't safe. Communities aren't safe. 
we often take for granted that the laws in Canada actually protect us in some way. And generally speaking, you and I, if something were to happen uh, outside of this church building today, we would have access to the law. We would go through, we'd be able to call up the police, and uh, the police would investigate whatever happened to us. The police would then look, after, look for the perpetrator, so on and so forth, and that case would then go through court, and we would have justice served. Well, sadly, that isn't the case Uh, for the world's poor. They simply can't pick up the phone. In fact, in Bolivia, if you want to access uh, the police, you can't just pick up the phone. You have to access uh, a lawyer. And to do that, you have to have what? Money. You have to have money to do that. And so that is what happens in Bolivia. IGM began in 1997 by Gary Haugen, who's our president and CEO. He's based in our Washington, D.C. headquarters. He was the U.N. special lead investigator following the Rwandan genocide in 1994. Uh, IGM Canada... Um, we, were, uh, we started in 2002. We currently have globally 600 full-time staff. That includes IGM lawyers, that includes our investigators, our aftercare specialists, etc. And 95% of our staff in our field offices are nationals. And that's, pretty, that's a pretty interesting statistic. So what that means is that it's Ugandan lawyers, for example, who are taking ownership for the change in law and law enforcement in that country, or it's Ghanaian lawyers, or it's Bolivian lawyers, or Indian lawyers, Indian investigators, Filipino investigators and aftercare specialists. So 95% of our staff uh, in our field offices uh, are nationals. So what we're trying to address at IGM is everyday violence. The poor are vulnerable because their justice systems are so broken, so dysfunctional, and there's corruption at all levels. There's simply no political will to enforce those laws that the poor are vulnerable to everyday violence, and the laws simply don't protect them Uh, from violence. And Gary Haugen was actually in Vancouver in March of this year unpacking that in our TED Talk. And if you want to listen to that, there's a card at the back that you can pick up at a resource table and head to our website and you can listen to that um, TED Talk there. But our work also involves um, four things. Um, In our field offices, which I'll be talking about later, um, we do four things. We rescue victims, That is, we work with law enforcement, we go into these illegal places of slavery or entrapment or trafficking, and we physically rescue individuals. We bring criminals to justice, so we want the law enforced so that the poor are protected. And we restore the survivors to places of safety and strength. So we have aftercare programs to make sure that they can um, get into this place of restoration and hope, those things that we have sung about this morning. Uh, But fundamentally, what we want to do is do ourselves out of a job. We want to see the justice system strengthened so that we don't have to have a presence in that particular community or in that particular country. So we want to do ourselves out of a job. And in fact, it's pretty exciting. Our first ever um, field office, all our field offices go through these phases of 
transformation and justice system transformation. And we're in the process of slowly closing down our first ever um, office in Cebu, Philippines, that we opened 17 years ago. So that's really exciting from our perspective because that basically means the police are doing what they should be doing. The laws are, are being enforced meaningfully and the poor are being protected. And now they actually don't need us there uh, for our expertise. So I want to give you some highlights here. And if you want to clap and celebrate, you are more than welcome to. Um, I want to give you some other highlights of some of our work thus far in uh, 2015. We have rescued over 23,000 children, women, and men from forced labor, trafficking, online exploitation. We've had over 4,200 people go through our aftercare program. So many of our our clients, particularly um, young children who have been um, abused and exploited, uh, go through post-behavioral cognitive therapy with us and other NGOs. So 4,200 people uh, of our clients have gone through that. And here's the one that I particularly like. Over 800 criminals have been convicted of their crimes against the poor in the developing world through our work. And I want to tell you just one story that was released this past week. Uh, And um, I I do have to say, um, the the caveat I want to give is that some of the stories that I'll be sharing are pretty raw. Uh, And so I won't be offended if if it's just too much to take in and you want to take a couple of minutes, that's okay. Um, but this is some of the reality that we, we deal with in our field offices. So I just want to, to lay that out here. But I want to share with you um, just one of our most recent convictions. Um, we, it was our first ever conviction with regards to um, online trafficking and the sexual exploitation of children in Cebu, Philippines. Uh, and sadly, um, this online trafficking ring was um, selling these images and giving these images to Uh, places like the US, UK, and sadly, right here in Canada. But we were working with the UK police authorities, the RCMP, uh, and the FBI, and we were able to shut down that ring and uh, rescue 12 children just this past week in Cebu, Philippines, from that online trafficking ring. But what does it look like? So I've given you some of these uh, things and a little bit of context of our work. Um, but what does it look like when we reach into Scripture? What does Scripture say about God's kingdom of justice and peace and mercy and forgiveness? So let me just uh, share some Scripture to you. And uh, I'm all about breaking tradition. So I don't know if this is tradition here, Rick, but um, I'm a Scotsman. I can take it if I'm wrong. But because these are the most important words that we are going to listen to uh, and hear just now, can I ask you to stand as we uh, hear God's word? This is from Matthew 4. You can uh, listen uh, to my accent or read on the screen behind me or open up your scripture. Uh, This is from Matthew 4. When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. Land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. 
on those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And this next scripture is from Mark chapter 4. Again, he said, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like, or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on earth, yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. Let's pray together. Lord God, we want to thank you for the the truth of your scripture. Lord, these words from scripture, make them come alive to us. Holy Spirit, do your work in our hearts and in our minds. We welcome you here. Come and speak to us, Lord Jesus. In Christ's name, amen. You can be seated. So what is this kingdom of heaven? What is this kingdom of God um, like? What is Jesus talking about? Well, there are six things that I want to share with you about the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God. Here's the first three. The kingdom of heaven, or the kingdom of God, and I'm going to be using those terms interchangeably, like happens in the Gospels, um, comes like an express train. When Jesus was born into this world, he broke forth, and there wasn't, there wasn't just silence. Gabriel came and announced this first to Mary. Elizabeth, uh, when Mary visited Elizabeth, what happened to John the Baptist in in, the, in Elizabeth's womb, he leapt with joy. A whole chorus of angels um, led song for the shepherds in the fields as they watched their flocks by night. Wise men came from afar and, and bowed down in front of this baby, this, this, this son of God who would change the course of history. Jesus burst forth into this world, changing and turning the world upside down. He came like an express train. And the kingdom of heaven is like an express train. Once it comes, you cannot stop it. Darkness will not have the last say. Evil will not have the last say in this world. It will be broken. Light will come forth and burst in and change and renew our hearts. Give hope to the poor. It comes like an express train. The kingdom of heaven is going to be um, characterized by justice and peace. The people of Israel were longing for a Messiah king who would bring a revolution, take care of them, and build a kingdom of revolution against the Romans and and be one that that wasn't characterized solely by justice and peace, but by war and power and authority. And yes, Jesus comes with that but it is mainly characterized by justice and peace and mercy and forgiveness in places that you least expect it. Third, the kingdom of heaven causes you and I to change direction. It says in Matthew that that Jesus preached and he said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Repent just, just doesn't mean this inward reflection, but repent, metanoeo in Greek means this, Literally, turn around and change direction. Go the other way. Change direction. Change your heart. Allow the kingdom of God to enter in and change your life. 
totally change direction, to consume you in such a way, as you've already sung about this morning, to consume you in such a way that what you must do is change direction, go on a new path. Fourth, the kingdom of heaven is a fulfillment of all that has been said in the Scripture Matthew is at pains throughout his gospel to show that Jesus is who he says he is, that he is the Son of God, fulfilling Scripture from the prophets Isaiah, the prophets Ezekiel and Daniel. So he frames it in that context. The kingdom of heaven provides fresh vision for rescue and restoration. The kingdom of heaven, though it may begin small, though it may look insignificant, One day, it will provide shelter for the whole world. So in your context, whatever you may do in your life vocationally, whether you're a teacher or a nurse or a doctor or a lawyer or an entrepreneur or a student or a full-time parent, whatever your vocation is at this current moment in time, though you may think it insignificant, as followers of Jesus, you're called to be bearers of light bearers of goodness. And what you think is insignificant will have massive repercussions for the kingdom. But what does this look like in our context at IGM? Well, in May of uh, this year, I had the privilege of visiting two of our field offices. Uh, The first office that I visited was in Kampala, Uganda, and our field office director there is Catherine Wilkes. And uh, I also uh, went to visit our IGM Rwanda field office. Our Ugandan office deals specifically with property grabbing from widows and orphans. And our Rwandan office uh, deals with sexual violence against children. So what I want to do uh, just for the next five minutes or so is for you to meet three people. The first is Juliana. This is beautiful Juliana, who we met. She lives in rural uh, Uganda in a district called the Mukono District. She is a 70-year-old grandmother. Her husband passed away. What you need to know about Juliana is this, is that two years ago, um, as she was planting her vegetable garden, a pretty small vegetable garden, a young man came up uh, to her land and said, this land is no longer yours, this is my land. And he had a machete in his hand, and uh, he demanded the land from Juliana. This occurred over about a month-long period, and uh, Juliana was firm, no, this is not your land, you're not who you say you are, you're not a distant relative, Um, But the young man started to build a house on her land. Juliana confronted this young man, and her hand was sliced by the machete. 70-year-old grandmother. Her daughter got hold of the news. She lived in another small village elsewhere and got hold of the news. Her daughter had heard about IGM from a local church, one of our justice churches, Um, in Uganda and said, look, I think you should go and speak to the pastor there because I think IGM might be able to help you out. We took on her case 
Uh, all of our cases that we take on is for the most poor and the most vulnerable. And in Uganda in particular, um, widows and orphans, though there are laws that are constitutionally, constitutionally enacted, they're not meaningfully enforced. So we took on her case um, over about a six-month period. The uh, young perpetrator was arrested by the police after that violent attack. We did our investigation. We went through all the um, legal requirements and the evidence gathering, and we were able to get the longest conviction in Ugandan history yet of a six-year conviction of that young man. Juliana now lives freely in her home, and she has now a vegetable garden planted by a bunch of Caucasians. I'm just really hopeful that it remains and she gets fruit and vegetables this fall or it's a, it's a bit of a nightmare for her. But I was out there planting a garden in her place. But I, hearing her story, this is the reality of many widows and orphans in Uganda. The second person... The second person I want you to meet is young Agnes. Agnes is 17 years old. She is in Rwanda. Beautiful, beautiful young woman. Uh, Prior to her coming on board as a client at IGM Rwanda, she was living on the street. Uh, She had been disowned by her family. And sadly, she was brutally sexually assaulted by an old man and pretty much left for dead. Um, she made her way to the police station uh, a few days after the attack, um, and we were informed by the police about her case, and we took it on. It was quite a complex case, because the Rwandan police, sadly, didn't have the resources or the means in place to fully um, gather the right evidence to um, cordon off the um, scene of the violent crime, but we worked hard. We are relentless in our pursuit of justice, and we will do what needs to be done to ensure the protection of the poor. Agnes's case became even more complex when we discovered she was pregnant and gave birth to a beautiful young boy whom I had the privilege of uh, meeting and holding in my own hands um, in our aftercare facility with one of the Christian organizations that we partner with. Agnes is now in a place of safety and strength and restoration. She is going through a vocational training school, despite the fact of her real brokenness and the scars that she will, of course, carry with her for the rest of her life. But her smile really captures where she is in her life now. She met Jesus, and she was transformed. She went through post-behavioral cognitive therapy and is now coping in this new place. But she's another person whom we um, gave justice to and got a conviction of her violent offender. The third person is Daniel, and that is not his real name. But this was perhaps the most moving experience I had Um, during my time in Rwanda. It was an afternoon, and uh, we were invited to go along to a graduation ceremony of all the young children who had gone through our aftercare. Um, 
And uh, there were about 13 or 15 young children who had gone through at least a six-month to one-year program of this post-traumatic counseling. And we were there to celebrate. But before the um, celebration, I was sitting um, with a family, and there were tables all around this, this room. And uh, I don't speak uh, Kira Rwanda, and, uh, and my French is a little bit rusty. Uh, but we were given questions to sort of um, get the conversation going. And there were questions like, if you had $1,000, what would you do with your $1,000? So um, people would, many of the, the families would respond with, I'd buy a cow. Um, what would you, where would you go if you could travel? All those kind of things. And then there was one question which caught me in my tracks. What was your most memorable day? Well, for me, I immediately went to my wedding day, my birth of my children. And, but I allowed one of the mothers of a young woman uh, share. And her answer was the day my daughter was raped. I'm trying to understand what this kingdom of heaven and kingdom of God was. I didn't have any answers to that statement. All my theological training, all my understanding of who Jesus was and what the kingdom is about was just suddenly stuck in the tracks because this was the living reality of a whole family. We then moved on to the graduation ceremony. And before the graduation ceremony, uh, many of the children shared their stories of brokenness. And Daniel shared his. Uh, he was violently abused by an extended family member um, one day after school. And his life just stolen and broken. He shared that. He was then given his certificate. And then drums came out. Drums. Then there was clapping and dancing and joy for about one whole hour. Now I'm a Scotsman. I can Kaylee dance a little bit, but I can't dance to the beat of an African drum. But I did. And the reason I did was because in that moment, heaven and earth became very paper thin. Violence and evil will not have the last say. Justice will come. Peace will come. Restoration will come. And I danced and I danced and made an utter fool of myself because that was the most appropriate thing to do at that moment in time to dance with complete abandon. That is the reality of the kingdom of God at work, where we can take utter brokenness, where we may see thing, things and experience things and hear about things where you think that is utter evil, and it is. These children and these women and men whom we encounter in our work will carry those scars with them for the rest of their life. But I tell you, that evil will not define who they are. Justice does come. Justice does flow like a river. The kingdom of God and his rescue and his restoration will have the last say. So what can you do? You can stand with us. 
You can give, of course. You can become a freedom partner today and join with us in this fight against injustice. You can advocate. We are looking for people to raise their voice, to talk about injustice, to talk with their uh, local MPs, to put injustice on the map, not just around the world, but right here in Canada. You and right here in this community say is enough is enough. Justice needs to be served for the least of those in our communities. You can pray with us. We need your prayers and your support. And you can, of course, join the conversation. I realize that many of you probably have returned from your summer vacation, or maybe you have got vacation to come. And we've just started a new program called Travel Brave. And it's an opportunity for you to equip yourself where you might suspect fellow Canadians who might be going abroad Um, not for the purposes of vacation, but perhaps you're abroad, say in the Dominican Republic um, or in Mexico or wherever, and you see something that just makes your toes curl up and you think, I need to talk to police or I need to talk to someone about what I have seen. We are partnering with the RCMP uh, on this where you can go through an organization called Cyber Tips uh, and you can give tip-offs Um, to the police about things that you uh, suspect, and they will do their due diligence uh, and uh, investigate what you have shared with them. But essentially, what I want to leave you with is this. The kingdom of God is right here, right now, and we have experienced it in the life and ministry of Jesus. You are invited this day to be bearers of light and goodness, to be peacemakers, to be bearers of justice and goodness. And so my encouragement to you today is be that person. Allow God to consume all who you are, set your feet in a new direction, and be a bearer of justice. Will you pray with me as I invite uh, the team to come forward? Lord God, we thank you that you are good and your mercy endures forever. We thank you, Jesus, for coming and breaking in, turning this world upside down, showing us the goodness of your kingdom, the power of restoration and rescue, the wonder of forgiveness, the beauty of mercy, and the extension of grace in our brokenness. Lord, often we can be overwhelmed by statistics, overwhelmed by stories of utter evil and brokenness. May we leave this place with anticipation of joy that is yet to come. Because violence and injustice will not and will never have the last word because you have broken its power through the beauty of your cross. So Lord, go with us this day. In Christ's name, amen.